Lehman was identified by his own nuclear DNA found on envelopes Gerald had sent home to his parents. Gerald's mother could have opened the envelopes across the top flap, read the letters, and discarded the, the envelopes. Or she could have opened them across the top flap, resulting in contamination. Instead, because she saved the envelope and opened the letter down the side, there was no contamination on the undisturbed flap. And 70 years after Gerald had sealed the envelopes, this simple act resulted in his successful positive identification. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country, and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. In this episode, I interview researcher Jody Block. She's a phenomenal researcher, doing great work. She tells a story of a wonderful woman who was killed in Alaska as a flight nurse. She also tells the story of a young man whose mother kept his letters that he had written home. And because she kept his letter, they were able to positively identify his DNA and 60 years later bring him home. This story was so powerful for me this week. I needed this story. We've been suffering some really hard losses in our family. And to know that 60 years later, his DNA was still in the possession of his parents and is what brought him home, brought so much comfort to me to know that even though we've lost loved ones through the pandemic, they're still with us. These stories that we're finding have so much power 
to help us in our struggles today. And the legacy that this generation's given us can continue if we take the time to listen and to share. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the program today. Um, I am speaking with Jody Block. Can you take a minute and introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Jody. Uh, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I got into this um, project because um, of my father and my grandfather. My dad was a Vietnam veteran and that um, completely shaped every corner of our lives. Um, everything really revolved, uh, revolved around that experience. And when he was growing up, his, child, his childhood, he, his dad was a World War II veteran. So I really kind of am doing this um, in honor of them. I never not got to know my grandfather at all. He died when I was a baby. Um, so it's, it's an honor of them and I enjoy doing it because I had been in, um, gotten through all the ancestry.com and done all the, the family tree stuff. And I just really, really enjoy doing the research and finding out new things. So the, um, transfer of going into this was really easy and simple and smooth because I already knew some of the background of places to look and what to look for and how to turn that into a narrative. But I'm doing it really in honor of my father and my grandfather. That's awesome. So um, did you, just curious, I just learned from an, another researcher that you can request their service record. Have you, have you done that with your grandfather? I have not. I have been thinking about it for a long time, but I haven't actually done that. So I'm looking forward to learning all those new things because I don't really know much about, I know he served in the Pacific um, in the army, but I don't really know much more than that. So um, I know that that was, he made it home um, actually because he had malaria and he was so sick that they, they sent him home. And I know that really affected him and um, he really wanted to go back, go back with his guys. Um, so I just think about how many more stories there are, are out like, like that, that I think really should be told. So let me ask you this then. <clears throat> you said you were familiar with ancestry. Is that because you were doing your own family history or just curious? Yeah. Yep. I was doing my own family tree. I didn't really have any interest in my family tree, to be honest, um, up until a few years ago. Um, my aunt was not doing well health-wise and she had spent much of her life as an adult trying to put together her family tree. Um, but that was back in the day where there wasn't the internet. Um, there weren't even computers really. And you'd have to write letters to, um, the, a newspaper or a library and say, do you have anybody by this name in your system? I'm trying to find so-and-so. Um, and the reason she was into it was because she had been separated from her five younger siblings. The siblings had all been taken out of the home to, due to neglect and um, very poor parenting. And she knew she had um, five siblings out there and she was determined to find them. And it took about 40 years 
But finally, um, she found my dad and my dad called, got a friend, got a call and said, you know, are you so-and-so and is this your family? And he said, yes. I said, well, somebody's been looking for you for a really long time. So I was really doing this for her. Um, as an oldest daughter, the oldest child, I can really relate to having that, feeling that responsibility to have your, your family intact. And um, so I wanted to try to fill in some of those holes for her that couldn't be found when she was doing it by mail um, in the 1980s. So I, that's how I got into Ancestry. And I just really liked it. I loved the researching process, which kind of surprised me. And um, just loved the different family stories that you could um, take out of that. So that's how I got into it to begin with. That is a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that. Like I, my, we recently moved from Utah to Kentucky um, to be closer to our family. And um, it's been really hard on my older, my older kids. And so my dad, he, he found out just because we moved to Kentucky that his family, one of his family lines goes all the way to the founding of Kentucky. So he found out there's this like little teeny town in Kentucky called Harrodsburg and it has a fort and that that's where his family had founded in Kentucky and where they're from. So if for Halloween, they have like a little farm next to Harrodsburg. He took my girls down there and like, and showed them the fort and they talked about, you know, her name was Sarah Little and she was like one of our, you know, ancestors. And then my girls come home and they're like, we came home, mom. And I was like, well, yeah, you're home. I'm so happy you guys are home. She's like, no, we're home. Kentucky's where we're from. We're home. Oh. And like, they were super excited to be back in Kentucky. And um, like, and yes, it, they're still miss Utah. They still miss their friends there, but like it's really helped them not feel like so like uprooted and lost. And, and so I think it like you doing this work is, is I think going forward generationally, will help your right. children, right? And your grandchildren. And and because they'll be able to somehow, you know, look up later. Oh, wow, look at our family. Look where they all went and where they all from, what they all did. And and I think so it's like, it's, it really is so important and not, you know, just to, for our own mental health, in my opinion, like to just know, just have some roots, be connected, not be so lost and wandering, right? <laughs> like Exactly, totally. Well, let's go ahead and, and jump into the stories behind the stars. So can I ask, how did you find it? Did you just like Google search it or? I actually, it was through an email from Fold3. I had done some work with Fold3 at one point in looking into my uh, family tree stuff. And they sent me an email and I'm not really sure why I even opened it. Um, but and they had a little thing about stories behind the stars in there. And I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. So I'm really glad I did. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's awesome. So um, can you go ahead and tell us some stories that you found if, of, of, or, or have told? Um, one story that I have um, is about the first army nurse that was killed in the line of duty during World War II. And she was buried at Arlington National Cemetery. So her name was Ruth Mabel Gardner. And uh, she was born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada in 1914. 
but we really don't know how she got to come to the United States. Her, her parents, we don't really know where they are. She, she came across um, unaccompanied and her uh, passage to America had been paid by an employee of the Calgary Street Railway Company. So we don't even really know how that happened. Later on, we found her in census living with her older sister and her husband um, in Indiana. But it's kind of a, a, a whole mystery in itself about how she came to America. Um, then uh, she went to you know, nursing training and different things like that in New York City and Pennsylvania and Indiana. And um, she joined the army in January of 1942. So just weeks after Pearl Harbor, um, she decided to be one of very few American women to sign up to be part of the army. Um, and the women, of course, at that time weren't even really hardly acknowledged as being quote unquote in the army now. Um, so that was a really brave, brave move on her part. Um, it was clear that she really wanted to honor and serve this country, even though she hadn't been born here. So let's see. Um, so she was a flight nurse, which means that she would go onto these big, um, they took these C-46 and C-47 transport planes and turned them into little um, tiny flying ambulances, large flying ambulances. And um, so th the nurses would have to deal with these patients while in the air, which is, of course, for the very first time, nobody had done this before. You know, we need to get our sick and wounded back further from the front so that they can be treated and taken care of. Well, what happens sometimes they die on the way there. So that's where the flight nurse idea came from. And there was over 500 flight nurses that served. Thank they treated one and carried 1.2 million patients to and from all over the globe. And out of those 1.2 million, only 46 of the men perished en route to where they were going. So these women really made a incredible impact on the um, allied forces on the Americans and of course their loved ones who got to have those, those guys oh. come home because they were willing to um, put themselves in harm's way because so let me the, get this straight so there's 500 flight nurses mm -hmm. basically saved 1.2 million men yes yes yeah <laughs> yes to sign up and say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do that i'm gonna take on all the other duties that you would normally have as an army nurse you know um ivs uh checking blood, checking pulses, all kinds of different things and making they're sure they're not bleeding out. But then they also had to deal with air sickness and simple fear of flying. This was the first time a lot of these guys were on an airplane. 
And um, of course he had to do with rough weather, bouncing around all the time. Um, if there was rough weather, the pilots would need to climb higher, um, which meant that the nurses needed to equip all of the patients with oxygen. And on top of that, a plane could face enemy fire when entering or exiting an airfield. So this was really dangerous work. And they really, they really put their lives on the line for those, those boys and those men. So they spent so much time in the air. Uh, they covered 3.5 million air miles. And that was just with Ruth Gardner's six person uh, group that she led. She led a group out of Alaska, which is an often forgotten, or sometimes people have never even heard of it, um, place of theater. The reason that there was combat in Alaska was because the Japanese were concerned that the U.S. would come up through Alaska, which was an uh, Alaskan territory then, wasn't even a state yet, come through the Alaskan territory and invade them from the north. And we were concerned that the Japanese would come across the same territory and use that as a um, launch off base to attack um, the west coast of America. If they got into the Alaska, maybe they could come down to invade, you know, Anchorage and Seattle and San Francisco and Los Angeles. So it was really important as far as um, trade routes and stuff like, like that goes. And Ruth's group also, they evacuated at least 2,500 sick and wounded troops while never losing a patient. Their group was really proud of that. Um, they were having to live in extreme circumstances and the fact that they never lost a patient was really amazing. Um, these nurses, would live in Alaska in, in the wind and cold. They lived in tents, just like the troops did. And they were the first women on Atu Island when it was being retaken from the Japanese. So they were really, really putting their lives on the lines for these guys. Um, in Ruth's case, she uh, was on a Douglas C-47 Sky Train on July 27, 1943. And they were making an instrument approach to Naknek Army Air Base, which is in Bristol Bay. Um, records say that the plane failed to clear the top of a ridge on the approach leg, coming into Naknek in soupy and foggy weather. So they apparently, while they were coming in, they did not see um, a tundra knoll at the time. They came in and they clipped it and uh, the plane exploded and there were no survivors. So not only Ruth was taken in that crash, but the pilot, Lieutenant Clark T. Moore and his crew and any patients that would have been aboard. Um, there were 16 flight nurses who died in World War II, but Ruth Gardner was the very first. 
So how did she end up in Arlington though? Do you know the story of, of how she got there? Cause I mean, it sounds like your family was from Canada at some point. Right. And I think they considered her an Indiana girl really because her teenage girl years were spent in Indiana with her sister and she graduated from high school there. Um, so she just had the one sister and her husband. Um, her sister was listed as, as her next of kin. There were two te temporary cemeteries with the American dead in Alaska. Um, Ruth's remains were buried in Fort Richardson Post Cemetery in Anchorage, but eventually they were brought back to the continental United States. And in 1948, um, they laid her to rest at Arlington National Cemetery, surrounded by the men and the boys that she vowed to take care of. Wow. I would love to meet her because she sounds like someone who just had so much resiliency and just. Right, right. I mean, it's 19, it's early 1900s, right? Women, they had the right to vote, but like they still, it was still hard, like, you know, to go and pursue a career or, or do those things and to to be like I'm just gonna pave my way through this and 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 you know do what I want to do it's just it's just amazing to kind of really what been. yeah trailblazing these women um not only patriotic but they do it for their families they do it for their country they do it for the boys that they're bound to take care of and try to get them to be well enough to to send home to their families yeah it's such a cool story that is an awesome super inspiring i mean so just to clarify clarify did then were everyone that was that died in that plane crash buried in arlington or just her that i don't know yeah it'd be interesting to find out because i know yeah. someone told me that if it's if it's like a plane crash like that, then they usually just do like a mass kind of everyone's buried here. Okay. They can't right, really. Right, right. Well, and I, I think that part of the thing with that was in Alaska where they were buried, I think that, um, and I want, as she was buried in Anchorage, so I don't know if it applied to this cemetery, but eventually they ended up taking all of the um, American fallen out of those cemeteries and return them to their families in the continental U.S. Um, because I think some of it was um, being taken over again by nature um, as far as the climate goes. Um, and so the only other person that I have a name for that was on that uh, plane was the pilot. So I can go and I can try to see if I can find out where he was buried. No, that's fine. I was just curious because I know that yeah. they, they did have like kind of, you know, if it's like a, a crash where there's not a lot of remains, then they they kind of just do like a mass graves situation. But maybe they're obviously, you know, they figured that out. Then it's interesting too, because it's like this was in 48. So obviously they were, you know, I it's not something I had thought about. <laughs> I don't know obviously it is something that existed but that the war would have so much like cleanup afterwards trying to figure everything out and like no okay where is that you know where have these 
men and women fallen and, and how do we get them home to their families and like just logistically I mean I know it's part of history but it's not something that you really compute when you think about these big major battles and you think about World War II and don't think about these small details that to an individual family were like really really important right you know I've done some of the Pearl Harbor stories and with those two it's just really interesting um and the whole process that happens after they die you know like you said a lot of them go into a little mass grave and um you don't really think about what happens after the war and after the, those, those guys were buried. They still have families back home um, wanting their remains back, wanting them to be buried in the family plot. And um, since uh, Ruth Gardner didn't have a lot of family, sounds like they did um, a good thing by um, burying her among the other heroes at Arlington. Yeah, especially since, I mean, a flight nurse is such an amazing cutting edge intense uh, it's not really an occupation it's it's you know because it's, it's, it's really a calling like, maybe it's a calling. Yeah. yeah it's like you know I don't know I mean it is an occupation now there's lots of flight nurses but like at the time you know she, like I want to I want to help in this war effort and I'm going to do it the way I can and it's just as I've been learning more about these nurses it's been so cool to just see like I get jittery like when the plane takes off and lands, you know, right. like it's like, and I'm buckled in and I know the plane's gonna take off and land just fine because like, you know, there's so many industry standards that keep me safe. Like, and so it's like to have the, the guts that these women had just for like, you know, get on and then do everything they're doing to keep the men alive. It's, it's just inspiring and such an amazing part of our history. It's so cool to be told. Do you have another story you'd like to share with us from any of your researchers research that you found interesting? There were so one that I just did about a Pearl Harbor fallen hero. His name was Fireman Third Class Gerald George Lehman. He was from the great state of Michigan, and yeah, he died while serving on the USS Oklahoma. Um, he was 18 years old when he died and he was buried as an unknown in Hawaii until March 3rd, 2010, when his remains were identified and finally brought home to be buried in his home state of Michigan on 12 June, 2010. His remains were identified by his DNA left behind in his letters to his parents. So, so did he have, did they also use in, any other DNA for like family members or like, I, that's crazy to me that they literally, two, how many years later is that? Like 70 years, no, six years later, they're like pulling DNA off of letters? The DPAA, the Defense Prisoner of War Missing Personnel Office, um, states that in 2003, an independent researcher contacted the Joint POW-MIA Accounting Command. With the information, he believed that one of the USS Oklahoma casualties who was buried as an unknown could be positively identified. After reviewing the case, JPEG exhumed the casket and discovered that it didn't include Lehman's remains. So this happened, I think, before a lot of the other 
getting identified like around 2015. So it sounds like his thing might have been a special, a special case. Um, among uh, other forensic identification tools and circumstantial evidence, scientists from JPAC and the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory used dental comparisons and mitochondrial DNA, which matched that of his sisters and nieces, and identification of Lehman's remains. There are a story written on Find a Grave and on Honor States that says, while the family believed that Gerald was unknown and unrecoverable, remains associated with Lehman had been placed in a grave with those associated with four other sailors. So they were able to identify the four other sailors and they were returned to their families. Only Gerald could not be returned to his family because he and another sailor had some sort of DNA that was similar. How the case was solved, the story says, is what makes this case a landmark precedent setting case. Lehman was identified by his own nuclear DNA found on envelopes Gerald had sent home to his parents. Gerald's mother could have opened the envelopes across the top flap, read the letters and discarded the, the envelopes. Or she could have opened them across the top flap resulting in contamination. Instead, because she saved the envelope and opened the letter down the side, there was no contamination on the undisturbed flat. And 70 years after Gerald had sealed the envelopes, this simple act resulted in his successful positive identification. Wow. That yeah. gives me chills. That's so I have letters like that from my great grandparents open from the side. Maybe that was like a common thing back then. Maybe. I don't know. It's not something that I normally normally see or heard or heard of. But well, and then I think yeah. the other beautiful part of the story is like they still had those letters, right? So yes. in 2010, those letters are still somewhere in someone's shoebox somewhere. I don't know right. where. Wow. That would yeah. that's a really, really cool story. I, you know, I love that he was able to be returned home to his family um, and the governor of Michigan declared on um, his burial date that all of the flags in the state of Michigan, including those on the waves, should be lured to half staff in memory of Gerald George Lehman. Wow, in 2010. Yes. I don't know. It's, it's like you could almost write uh, like a really cool, you know, historical fiction about letters home and then yeah. like, it's just such an amazing, amazing story. <clears throat> I hate to like, like see a lot of symbolism in there, but it's just like so powerful to know, like your DNA is being like, it's, you know, you're gone. You've been dead for six years, but your DNA is still around. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And your your family is. Who cared for you. 
keeps that keeps that all safe. And um, that's what is able to to finally bring you home. It's just, yeah, an amazing story. All the Pearl Harbor stories are really, really compelling. Wow. Well, thank you so much for taking your time with this has been so fun. I've I've learned so much and it's been this amazing what you've shared. Do you oh, have thank any, you so much. Do you have any advice? If I always like there's two questions I like to ask is do you feel like doing this project has changed you at all or your perspective? Oh wow. Um I definitely think so. I I you get kind of attached to some of these names. Um, they kind of feel like, um, you know, even though you're not related, that um, you still become connected to them somehow all these years later. Um, I was able to go to a funeral um, a couple of weeks ago by, um, of a guy that was brought home from Pearl Harbor here in Michigan. And I didn't, I did not write the story. Somebody else did, but I was able to go to the funeral and just see the, the, the family and the military and the veterans that all showed up, showed up for this guy um, with respect and honor of someone that they probably didn't even know. Um, but it was still that important to their, you know how important it would be to their, to their moms, you know, and dads. And I think that they don't really, they don't really leave us. And that's maybe one of the lessons we can take with the DNA that part of them is, is always with us. That's really amazing. Like that's 80 years later. Yeah. Almost exactly 80 years later. And you, you got to go to this, like, um, I don't know it's it, to me it says a lot about America as a country you know like um, we just as a people we don't give up on each other you know we don't we don't quit honoring and and you know fighting for what these men stood mm-hmm. for right which freedom and it's amazing to right yep yep I'm gonna go to hopefully um, to a funeral that I did write the story on him and um, he's going to be buried on December 7th. So I'm hoping to be able to attend that and having um, written his bio- little biography that see everything through down to the end. That would be great. Wow. So where in Michigan is he coming home to? Is it close to you or? It's about an hour and a half from me. Um, it's at Fort Custer National Cemetery. So it's one of the um, one of the only national cemeteries that we have um, here in Michigan. So um, it's all all soldiers and um, troops uh, laid to rest there at, at Fort Custer. So it's a special place. So did you? How did you find out that he was coming home? Like, um, and just doing in the research. Um, some stuff received like by the DPAA and I think maybe even like um, a news report or two that said, you know, he had been identified on this day and he's going to be buried um, on such and such. So um, 
Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I hope that the weather isn't bad. <laughs> so that so I can make the it. cool thing is, is that if you bring if you have find a grave downloaded, you can mark his you could mark his meant like grave with his name. Um, and on on December 7th, find a grave will is going to be hooked up with fold three and it, it will work. Oh, so cool. you could get your app and read the story and anybody there. I mean, he has to have a marker. So obviously he just got buried there. Right. So the find a grave might not have his marker there. So you might have to create like a, you know, on find a grave, create his grave marker on there. Um, okay. before it will work. But once you've created his grade marker, then it will, it will find his name through fold three. We've been working really hard with um, ancestry. Okay. That's the goal. That's the goal to have right. it done by um, December 1st. And that's what they're, they're saying they can get it done by then. So hopefully by December 7th, then the find a grave app will be working. That's okay. That's so how prayer. would I, how would I go about that? <laughs> so you download the find a grave app on your phone. The find okay. Okay. Like, so Find a Grave is, uh, you know, a sub company of Ancestry, right? Right. So we've been working with Fold3, which is also a sub company of Ancestry. And we have asked them if it's all possible to connect those two together. So that Find a Grave will now communicate with Fold3. So when you okay. have the app, if there's a story or a profile of that person on Fold3, then they will pull up on that find a grave. So you would download the find a grave app and then find a grave when you use the app, like you can, it knows where your geo, your uh, geo marker is and, and where all the graves are, right? Okay. And so then it would, it would notice that grave. You'd have to put it in, which I'm, they have a whole like tutorial on how to put things into graves, into find a grave. Okay. And um, I think you have to sign up as a volunteer and then, and then you just um, put in the, you take a picture of the marker and then you, you do the geo marker and then upload it. And then once okay. that's done, then you should be able to, it should work with full three and find his name. Okay, awesome. That's the hope. That's what we're working really hard on right now to make happen right. by December 7th. Because I think that'd be so cool to like anybody there on December 7th could if read show or yeah. anyone else that is buried from Pearl Harbor. Obviously, we don't have all of, you know, Michigan's World War II done yet. But um, at one point when we do, all those stories will be able to be read from that National Cemetery. That would so, be awesome. Yeah, that's the that's a big hope, you know, because these stories are amazing. And I think as we get further into the age of technology, it's going to be so cool to have this available for people just to read these stories at their graves, you know, find out more than just their name. Absolutely. So, okay. The last question I like to ask people is what advice would you have to anybody who's thinking about joining? Do it. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, one of the great things with this is, is that you only have to do, if you want to sign up for one, you only have to do one. You're not committed to the next five years of your life, you know, um, but it's, it's worth it for yourself. It's worth it for the families. Um, and we certainly hope that that in a small way, um, can honor the, the guys who gave everything, um, for us, but it just, it, it connects you to 
another era, another place in time. Um, people that are the same, that would have been the same age as your grandparents or great grandparents. And you see them as, um, as living, you know, human beings when they were 18, 20, 22 years old, um, that they thought that they had their whole lives ahead of them, but because of their um, dedication and service, the least we can do, the very least we can do is um, put them in a plot with their name on it, saying this is who you are and we remember you and we honor you. And that's what we can do, the rest of us, what we can do through Stories Behind the Stars. Thank you so much for spending your time with us listening to these amazing stories of these fallen heroes. If this is content you want to keep hearing, please consider sharing this podcast with others. The more we grow our listening base, the more people we can reach, the more impact we can have, the more volunteers we can find, and the more stories that get told. So if you like this content and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please follow us and share and find us on any social media platform You'll and, and follow us there. And then most importantly, check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. Click the volunteer button and join the Star Corps. Thank you.